Amen. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to be talking for the next two weeks about marriage, and it's just a privilege to do so. I was driving yesterday uh, to Indi or not Indiana, to Louis right past Louisville, Kentucky, to Tough Mudder with a couple buddies. And we got to talking about what I'd be preaching on today. And uh, Andrew, my friend Andrew, talked about his friend Dustin, who's a mutual friend of ours. And uh, he referenced what Dustin had said about marriage. And he said, often what happens when we talk about marriage in the Bible is that the wife tends to hear only what God says to the husband and wants the husband to listen up well to what God has to say to them. And then often the husband only hears what God has to say to the wife and wants the wife for her ears and heart to perk up when God speaks to the wife. And I think that is even a ploy of the enemy to guard us or to keep us away from what God actually says to us. And God is going to speak to wives today. He's going to open up his mouth and he's going to speak to wives and he's going to say some things. And I want you to hear, ladies, the dignity of that. And, and we're going to, as I said already, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. And, and I want you to know this because as we're talking about marriage, uh, by and large, our culture is going to think what we have to say over the next couple of weeks, what the Bible has to say. Our culture is going to laugh at this. Uh, they're going to say pretty much that this is nonsense. And, and we can expect that. Uh, we are, as the people of God, living as a peculiar people in Babylon. We're not living in Israel. We're living in Babylon, uh, in a world who needs to know the gospel of Jesus. We are, um, as the scriptures declare, no matter what society we're in throughout the world, that, that society is not our home. We have a heavenly home. This is our people. And as much as we love our country, our country is not the kingdom we're a part of. We're a part of something bigger than that and broader than that. We love America, we love our country, but we are God's people. We are part of the kingdom of God. It's this global kingdom. So we live in a peculiar way. We live in a different way. Our standard of living is not the same standard of living as the people throughout the world. So the people throughout the world is going to hear some of the things we have to say today and next week, and they're going to laugh. It's just going to be laughable to them. But I think as the people of God, we can listen to what God has to say to us, and we can be thankful. Wives, you can be thankful for what God has to say to you. And here, here's the big idea today. You're going to get a gift beyond, ladies, wives in particular, you're going to get a gift from God to you that's beyond simply being human. Ladies, I want you to hear this. You're created and fully equal in the eyes of God as, as a female. You're fully equal to a man. God has created men and women equal. In Genesis 1.27, we'll look at that here in just a little bit. God has created male and female, both as image bearers before God. And the scriptures go way beyond this, so much more than that. You have been created as an equal human image bearer of God, and you've been created as a female. And that is a wonderful privilege. There is dignity in that, that you were not just created human. And men, as we see next week, we were not just created as human. There's not just this general mass of humanness. There is specific genders in which God has created. Culture has bought the lie that gender, if they believe in gender at all, that gender equality means gender sameness. And the problem we are today has its roots in a very good and noble idea uh, within the feminist movement of the idea of equality. The fem feminist movement brought to fruition this, uh, this woeful, out-of-balance reality that we've seen in culture to culture where male and female were not viewed as equal, uh, even in Christian circles. There was the, the man who was viewed as the image bearer of God, and then there was the woman who was uh, viewed in so many ways as being less than. And what God used, in, even in the feminist, secular feminist movement, was this idea that, wait a second, uh, we have been biblically wrong, not just culturally wrong, we've been biblically wrong, men and women are created equal. But the problem and the error of the feminist movement and the error of our day is uh, gender has been completely washed away. So all of a sudden now equality means the same. So equality and sameness have become a synonym. And then we find all sorts of problems because if, if gender equality men, means gender sameness, then why does why does it matter anything? Why, why, does, why, does any, why does the transgender, why is homosexual marriage, why is any of that wrong if we're just the same, if we're just a mass of humanity? But we are not just a mass of humanity. We're male and female. The scriptures address this over and over and over again. So culture has bought that lie that, that gender is only psychological, that gender, as Chaz Bono famously said, gender is between the ears and then something vulgar after that, not between the, we won't go there. But gender is between the ears. It's psychological. And the scripture you're going to say is, no, this gender is actually woven into the image of God. It's something bigger than simply psychology or even sociology. Gender is intricately woven into the creation of the universe. The results 
of gender equality, meaning gender sameness, the, the meshing of those two ideas. The results is that men and women have been in our world and sadly sometimes within the, in the church when the lie that equal means same, men and women are subjugated, are subjugated by that lie into a blurred mass of humanness, meaning women, when, if you buy the lie that equal means the same, it means it means absolutely nothing to be, to be a woman. And you are subjugated to lies, the lies of the world that says there is nothing to femininity, there is nothing to being a woman at all, you're just human. And you are subjugated by those lies to that. And so are you men. We are subjugated, but the culture of the day, the wave of popular opinion just simply says there's nothing to being a man. And the scripture is just going to go way against us like crazy. There is something biblically. We haven't just made this up. It's not sociological. It's not uh, like psychological. It is scriptural. It's biblical. God created male and female for a reason, for a purpose. So when people hear about what the Bible teaches about marriage, what they almost exclusively hear is the word subjugation. Because we're going to talk about uh, wives be subject, okay, be submissive to your husbands. What often happens is that's the word that gets brought to the forefront, and it's the only word that is heard in marriage discussions when we, when we talk about biblical manhood and womanhood and biblical marriage. The reality is, however that all other views about gender and marriage are the ones that actually, this is the irony, subjugate women. The, the enemy has a great way of twisting truth upside down and telling the world that biblical truth is actually is the, is the truth that's, that, that presses people down and robs people of what they actually could be. And the reality is it's a complete upside down uh, lie. The reality is all other views about gender and marriage subjugate men and women. Gender is an exchange uh, but the Bible and the world says we're all human. The Bible says no, you're so much more. So we're going to discover that today. What is this so much more? The Bible frees men and women from the bondage of cultural popularities. Praise God. Uh, we could say it like this: There's a bondage that looks like freedom, because the world's going to hear what God says to wives, the dignity of what God says to wives, and they're going to say that's bondage. That's not true. That's that that's a that is actually pressing you down and robbing you from everything that you could be which is what the enemy, the ploy of the enemy, by the way, with Eve in the garden. Okay, I'm not really for you. That's what the enemy says. God's not really for you. He's holding you back. The lie is still perpetuated today. We hear this. This is what the world will say. We falsely believe by the authority of our own intuition that we are free and right. We automatically assume, oh, excuse me, let me back up. Uh, there's a bondage that looks like freedom and a freedom that looks like bondage. Okay? This is the, the, the upside-downness of the world and the irony of the world's thinking that true freedom is found in the Scriptures for wives and for husbands. Uh, and, and here's the deal. Since the fall, Genesis chapter 3, humanity has been thinking upside-down. We falsely believe by the authority of our own intuition, by what we think, we falsely believe by our, the authority of our own intuition that we are free and right. We automatically assume that the directives from God that we don't like, so ladies, here's your tendency today when God speaks to you, our intuition, we will be, we will, you will be prone to think of your own tuition, intuition first and make that your authority. The directives from God that we don't like are somehow wrong or at least that interpretation of God's word is wrong. It never seems to cross our minds that maybe, just maybe, the culture and I am wrong. So wives, I want to plead with you today. I want you to consider this. The way that you've been thinking about marriage or even about yourself or what it means to be a woman, uh, I want you to consider that you may have been thinking your entire life in the wrong way. And I want you to bend your thinking around what the scriptures say, not your own intuition. Because God is going to speak to you and the tendency is going to be to, eh, if it doesn't feel right, I, I don't like it. So here's the gift. Here's one of the gifts that God gives you. Okay, This is a gift and it's beautiful and it's good. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. You have been created fully equal in, in value, dignity, and worth as a man. And then ladies, as wives in particular, listen to the gift that God has given you. The gift of submission. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the gift that God has given you, wives. Submission. And the lie that's perpetuated 
from the garden on is that that is not a gift. That is holding you back. It is not beautiful and powerful and true. It's actually robbing you. This is the lie. It's, the lie is it's robbing you of what you could be. And so we're going to reshape our thinking biblically and discover why is this such a beautiful gift that God has given wives in particular? Why is it such a good gift? Why is it such a defining mark of biblical femininity? The gift of submission. The world may laugh, but we're going to see what the scriptures say. The world laughs, but not gospel men and women. Gospel men and women listen to the Bible and receive it as a gift and receive it as good news, and they hear it and respond. Gospel women, women of steel, listen to what God says to them, and they say back to God, you are right, I love you, thank you God for speaking to me and showing me the honor of speaking to me. You are right God, and I want to follow what you have to say to me, regardless of what you have to say to my husband, regardless of what you have to say to anybody else, I want to hear God what you have to say to me, and I want to receive it as good news. That's what gospel women do. Gospel women are strong women who hear, hear what God has to say to them and they respond appropriately. In fact, the scriptures anticipate your strength because the wife in the scriptures is always addressed every single time. The wife is addressed before the husband. This is interesting. Before wives, you get the cushion because a lot of times we want to give you a buffer and say, before you hear about submission, you need to hear about how husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And yes, we are going to get to that next week, but it's next week. It comes after God addresses the wife. God gives you the dignity and assumes that you will be able to hear this as good news. Assumes your strength. It assumes you will be able to respond to this well without getting the buffer, without getting the cushion. Okay, here's how husbands are supposed to love you. Because the natural order of it, we would kind of think, well, if ladies would be able to, to hear that first, it'd be a good cushion, and then we'd be able to kind of ease into this whole submission thing. Not the scriptures. The scriptures go right out and say, no, wives, submit to your husband. He is the head of the family. He is the head of the wife. So this is honoring of you. The scriptures are going to say, hey, you can handle this. You can hear this. Ladies, you can hear this by God's grace as being good news. And ladies, secondly, about this being addressed to you first, okay, God speaking to women first about marriage. Uh, here's the deal, ladies. You hold the power in marriage. It sounds weird. But if you refuse to submit, your husband can never become the man God is calling him to be. When you submit to your husband, you require something of him. You require him to begin to lead and to seek the face of God for his family. And if you will not submit, you rob him from being the God, he, the, the man that God is calling him to be. When my wife appeals to me and says, Jared, I just don't know what to do. You're just going to have to make this call. You know what that means? It means I have got to be driven to prayer. God, I need wisdom on how to love my family and serve my family well. And if you refuse this, you hold the power. You will emasculate, emasculate your man. And keep him from being the man God's calling him to be. It's just as simple as that. You hold the power. So if you reject this, there is nothing that he can do. And he will continue to be just this impotent man, just going along, going with the flow. And you won't require anything from him. But if you submit, he is challenged to be the man that God is calling him to be. So instead of him remaining in change, he is unleashed by your powerful and humble submission. We're going to see that here in a minute. So the reason submission and headship is viewed so negatively starts back in Genesis chapter 3. Here's what I want to do. I want to I go in the scriptures and I want to identify the main reason why what God says to women in the scriptures is viewed negatively. And I want to start in Genesis chapter 1. And we're also going to see, so go ahead and flip there. Go ahead and flip to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to do a quick survey of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Um, in fact, I tell you what, it's going to be hard for you to flip through Genesis 1, 2, and 3 as quick as I'm going to move through it. So just keep your finger in Ephesians chapter 5, and if you want to flip over there, you can try to follow along, but it will be kind of difficult. So we'll be back in Ephesians 5 here in just a little bit, but we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, because I want you to see biblically that you are created, ladies, in the image of God, fully equal, and yet I want you to see the uniqueness between uh, God creating uh, male and female. So Genesis 1, 27 uh, and, and we're doing this to see and discover why the good news of, the gospel, of, of, of a gospel marriage, a Christian marriage, why it's viewed so negatively in our world. And possibly, ladies, when you hear the word submit, why is it, why is it viewed so negatively at first? 
Why is it such a battle to see submission as a beautiful and a good thing? We're going to see from Genesis 1, 2, and 3 why it's viewed so negatively. So Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. That's plural Trinitarian language. That's Father, Son, Spirit speaking to one another and having a conversation and saying, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, again, plural, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. How did he create man? Just as humans? No, no, no. Something more beautiful than that. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So you see it. From the beginning, gender was God's idea. Male, female. God's idea. Woven into the beginning, created order. Male, female is what it means to be human. So much more than simply human. We're created equal and. And then it goes on in Genesis chapter 2. We see this relationship between Adam and Eve. And we see in Genesis chapter 2 verses 5 through 17. We see that God created the man. And, and God put man in the garden, Adam, in the garden to work the field, work the fruit of the field. And to tend and to cultivate this garden. And then God tells Adam, the man... And does not yet, uh, in fact, in scriptures, we never hear that God said anything to Eve. It was Adam's responsibility to tell Eve what God did. So when you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you'll see that God never directly speaks to Eve, telling her about what to do and not do. He speaks to Adam. And then in chapter 3, we discover that Eve has been, in fact, told by Adam what God said to Adam, because she understands that she was not supposed to eat of the fruit of this tree. But I want you to hear this first, that God told Adam, you may, you may, you may, you may, you may, to everything, every single beautiful fruit that he saw in the garden, you may eat of it, but you may not eat of this one tree. You may not eat of this one tree. And so Adam was created to work in this field. And then in verse 18, God creates Eve as Adam's helper. Eve, as Adam's helper, God looked out over all creation and said, you know what, it's not good for Adam to be with an elephant. It's not good for Adam to be with a, with a cheetah, which is my favorite animal, a cheetah. But a cheetah would make a terrible wife. Okay, So God created Eve. Woman, female, and then when Eve is seen in all of her beauty and all of her glory by Adam, Adam goes to her, starts singing, and the first thing he does is he wants to assign a name to her. And he assigns the name to her, Eve. This is at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It was just overwhelming in his heart and his soul as he saw the beauty of the woman created in the image of God. He couldn't contain it, and he just sang. And some of you ladies would wish, I wish my husband would just sing over me. And Jordan's thinking, no, Jared, when you sing, she told me the other day, Jared, you are more annoying than ISIS. <laughs> and it was in love. I, I promise it was in love. But I am. Sometimes I just sing and dance around the house. I know that you don't know that about me. I'm opening up my closet here and just saying, here, here's what I do. I, man, I sing and dance all over the house. This is me. Uh, and my wife, sometimes I drive her nuts, uh, so she does, want, does not want me to sing over her in that way. But this is Adam. He just could not contain it. And, and as I looked at my wife this morning, I'm like, baby, you look beautiful today. Because I see this is the image of God, and he created woman. And the same way that God brought Eve to Adam, God brought my wife to me. There's still this re repeated story that's still happening today. But Adam sees the beauty of Eve and sings, and he names her Eve. Adam proceeds, even though we don't have this recorded, Adam proceeds to tell Eve what God had told him. He saw it as his responsibility. Like I said before, he, we know that Adam told this to Eve very accurately because we see when the Satan comes to tempt Eve, Eve repeats back what God told to Adam. So there was a line of communication. Adam had talked to Eve about what God commanded him. When Eve was created and he sang over her, he then told her, this is the, this is the law, this is the rules. We have a God who created us and this is what he has told us we may do, but we may not do this one thing. In verse 6 of chapter 3, we get to the fall. And by the way, uh, in verse 24, we have this famous marriage. Uh, verse 24 of chapter 2, it says this, Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. It's a beautiful verse. Um, we see this uh, repeated by Jesus. This is, this is marriage. Two shall become one flesh. Have you heard this before? We've heard this wedding after wedding after wedding. This is from Genesis chapter 2, the first wedding. This is how Jesus defines marriage. 
In our world today, it's popular in some, some so-called Christian circles. Well, Jesus never addressed homosexuality, some will say. Okay? Uh, Jesus did clearly address marriage. And he spoke about gender. And he referenced creation over and over again. In Matthew 19, 4 through 6, and in Mark chapter 10, verse 7 through 9, Jesus repeats Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, and we see that Jesus' definition of marriage is the exact same definition of marriage from Genesis chapter 1. Jesus loves the Bible, and he holds to the scriptures, and he appeals back to Genesis chapter 1. This is the first marriage, male and female. Genesis 3, everything goes haywire, and this is where we're going to get here in a second why it's so hard for us to hear what God says to the man and to the woman in marriage. Genesis chapter 3, the fall. Genesis 6, chapter 3, verse 6, Eve with Adam right by her side. Eve believed the lie of the enemy and ate of the fruit. Adam came and said, what God has said to you is wrong. Excuse me, Eve, or the enemy, Satan, said, what God has said to you, and what God has said to your husband is a lie. He is holding back on you, and you know better. You can be like God. And they believed the lie that what God said to them was wrong. This is still the problem of humanity. We hear what God says to us and we believe God is wrong. It's the folly of Adam and Eve on repeat. What God says is wrong. What I say is right. This is Carbondale. This is our homes. This is our schools. God's wrong. What God says is wrong. What I say is right. My intuition tells me that God's wrong and I'm right. It's perpetuated. The enemy is still using the same tactics today. God's holding back on you. He is not right. He doesn't know your situation. He doesn't know what you know. He doesn't know 2016. He doesn't know what marriage is supposed to be like. You know better. You can do better than God. It's not true. And the lie that Eve bought is continuing to be bought today. We see this in a perfect paradise. Adam failed his bride. He should have stood up and defended his bride. In the same way Adam took responsibility to tell his wife what God had told him, he failed in his responsibility to protect and to guard and to fight for her. And what he should have done is said to the enemy, he should have stomped the enemy's head. He should have said to the enemy, leave, don't bother my wife. Don't tempt her to believe what God said is wrong. What God says is right. You need to get out of here. And Adam, right there, being right by her side, watches his wife, be enticed by the enemy, and he does nothing about it. Man, we'll see next week, men, this is still our difficulty today. Instead of being active, instead of pursuing, we're passive, and we sit back. Instead of loving proactively, we want to love reactively. Well, if she does this, and if she's nice to me, and if she'll stop doing this, then I'll love her. This is, our, this is a sin of us, men. We'll see that next week. He stands and watches her, and she eats of the fruit. Satan convinced Eve, he did it, that Eve knew better than God. You can do better, you can do better. Satan says the same lies today. So what happens is, after this, God comes to Adam and he says, Adam, where were you? He addresses Adam. He had talked to Adam before. He doesn't address Eve here. He says, Adam, where, were, where are you? And Adam says, uh, uh, I, I'm naked. He had covered himself. And who told you you were naked? And then Adam says to God, well, uh, the serpent, the enemy. And he says, uh, this woman you gave me. And the blame game begins to happen. Adam begins to blame his wife. Men, we still do this today. I would be a better man if it wasn't for you, baby. If you would just pull out the best of me, and instead you just pull out the worst of me. And if we don't say it verbally, we, we think it internally. Eve then says, no, 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 no. It wasn't my fault. It was the enemy. It was the serpent that lied to me. And the blame game began to, ha- began to happen. And, and today, we, we all have master's degrees, and any, many of us have actually doctorates and PhDs, like six of them, in the blame game. We can blame anybody and everybody for everything. We can justify anything. We are masterful, and the human condition, it's very, very evident, is they're very masterful at passing blame. It's not my fault. This isn't my sin that I'm responsible for. Uh, it's because of how I was raised, or it was because of uh, this chemical imbalance, or it was because of this tendency or that. It wasn't really my fault. I'm not really responsible. We, we still blame. We blame shift like crazy still to this day. So God then begins to give gender-specific, and this is key, this is important, 
Because from, the, from before the fall and even after the fall, we see this continuity that God speaks to genders. He says some things to humanity. But then he some, says some things very specifically to the male and the female. And this is very important because if God says something to, uh, j- beyond humans, then we can see that God takes gender. What, what God says, for instance, God says some things to men that he doesn't say to women. And God says some things to women that he does not say to men. And for us to, to do what God says for the, wife, for the woman to do, or for the woman to hear what God says to the man to do, and say, no, that's what God's saying to me, is to miss the whole point. God says specific things to the man and to the woman. We see this in the discipline and in the punishment that God gives. To the serpent, in verses, chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, uh, God says to the serpent, there is an offspring, Jesus, that is coming and he will bruise your head. You will think, he will crush your head. So you think in in verse 15 that you're going to defeat him, and yet he will defeat you. There's an offspring coming from this woman, and that Jesus, King Jesus, will one day crush you. And that's what Jesus did. In Mel Gibson's famous movie, the first scene, I believe, wasn't it the first scene where that snake was slithering, and, and then you see the head of the serpent smashed? Okay, this is the what theologians call the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel. This is what the first gospel proclaimed, that the enemy is going to die. He's going to be defeated. Jesus, in fact, does. So God gives a punishment down to a serpent. Then God begins to speak to the woman in verses 16. He says to the woman that your pain, your, uh, I, I will surely multiply pain in your childbearing. Can any women in here testify to that? Mom is in here? Any, right? Ladies? It's hard. Jordan was in for 35 hours in uh, labor for a ransom. 35 hours. That's hard. If you watch that as a husband, you're like, I wish I could do something. I can do nothing. I'm, like, my contribution was trying to stay awake. Hers was pushing him out of her body. Just unbelievable. Like, I, I couldn't even, like, stay awake. I was struggling. I was, like, falling asleep, you know. Multiply your pains in childbearing, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Here's why everything has gone wrong. This right here, uh, the word desire, uh, in the very next chapter, God says to uh, Cain, says sin will desire to uh, sin will des- it's des- will be sin's desire will be over you, it's des- and its desire will be for you, but you must master it. This word for desire in the Hebrew is not a, a good word. It's it's that it's gonna you're you're going to desire husband not in a even a sexual way or anything like that in a way uh, that wants to control and manipulate in a way that wants to do what God has called him to do. This is what you're going to want to do. Your desire will be for him. You will want to do what God tells him to do. And this still is a longing within inside of ladies as a product of the fall is a is a desire to according to scripture to to control or manipulate to be the one that's really in charge. And unfortunately, in generations past, uh, really, and f- some godly men have said some really dumb things. And they've said things like this. Here's the key to marriage. Just, your, your wife's always right. Okay, that's dumb. She's not. And ladies, you should want a stronger man than that who just lets you believe you're right all the time. Because you're not. And that's the dumbest advice any man can hear from somebody else. So don't ever give that advice. It's really dumb. Now, she's just always right. No, she's not. Ladies, you are not. And we're going to bust on the men here in a couple weeks. But you're strong enough to hear this. Your desire will be for your husband, so there'll be the desire there to have what he has in the areas of responsibility that he has. What God says to him, you will want to control and to manipulate and be behind the scenes, and yet he will rule over you. This is a really terrible, that word rule is not rule in a, in a, a wise or loving way, but the bent of men is to rule in a domineering way. And what we've seen down through history is that women have been oppressed by really terrible men. Men, society after society, have been patriarchal in the sense that, that ladies have been demeaned. They have not been loved well. They have not been served well. They have not been viewed as equal at all. And in the consequence of that, as we've seen down through the ages, women have been mistreated. I was reading in a uh, commentary this week, and, and John Stott's commentary, and each woman, or each, each morning it said in there that the Jewish man would pray this prayer. God, thank you that I am not a Gentile. A dog or a woman? It's horrible. And unfortunately, ladies have been mistreated down through the ages. And this verse is why. 
Do you see the conflict? Men will want to domineer over women, and women will want to control men. How on earth can there be peace and harmony when that is a consequence of the fall? This is the problem. This is the why of marital conflict. The man, God tells Adam then in verse 17 through 19, the man, Adam, your consequence, the consequence is that uh, the work of the ground, the, the ground is cursed because of you. When we look at the ground of the world being cursed, the groanings of this earth, we see here that, Adam, that's because of your sin, because of your unwillingness to protect and to fight and to love for Eve. The ground is cursed because of you. The fruit of your labors, it will, it will be hard. And if you think maybe your work isn't hard and you've got a cush job, and in some ways I uh, have a job that people would say it's not a lot of manual labor, but uh, I'll tell you what, there are some really hard jobs out there, man. Turn on dirty jobs and discover that work is hard. And even if you're in an office or anywhere, if, you're not, if your work isn't hard, something's going wrong. There are, it, it is, work is simply hard. You may enjoy your work more than others, but work and providing for your family, it comes with difficulty. It's simply hard. It's not a breeze. And so the curse of the ground comes to the man, and God tells the man, providing for your family is going to be hard. Thorns and thistles, verse 18, it shall bring forth the earth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat, verse 15, of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and from dust, uh, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So we have gender-specific punishments. Now, from that point forward, from the fall forward, humanity has been bent to distrust God's word, as I've said previously, and trust self. Here is the anthem of humanity. I know better. I know better. I know what's right. I have got superior intuition from anybody else. So then, from then forward, apart from the Holy Spirit regenerating our heart, we look at passages like Ephesians chapter 5 and we say from our heart, I know better. And ladies, when you hear this, your tendency, instead of hearing this as a gift, is going to be, I know better. But, through the gospel of Jesus, we can see two things, primarily. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 5, or you should have your finger there. But because of the gospel, ladies, here's where we start to see the beauty. Apart from the gospel, we can't see the beauty of this. We only see it as bad news. But with the gospel of Jesus, with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we can see two primary ways in which submission is viewed as beautiful. Two things. Number one, Jesus is going to show you an example. Jesus, as our example, shows you the beauty of submission. We're going to look at Jesus' life, and you're going to see the beauty of submission. Jesus submitted to His heavenly Father. He was fully equal to His heavenly Father. And yet, in joy, he submitted to his heavenly Father. So to reject submission is to look at the work of Jesus in his life with a frown. Or to look at the work of Jesus in him submitting to his Father with disgust or disdain. We see the beauty and the dignity of submission when we see the submission of Jesus to his heavenly Father. The second thing we're going to see is Jesus as Savior shows us the power of submission. Submission is not passive, it's powerful. And you're going to see this. It produces change. It challenges your husbands to be the man God has called them to be. It changes people around them. This is an offensive weapon, not a defensive strategy. Submission is a gift, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful. So we're going to see those two things. First, submission as beautiful. There's several different passages I want to look at, uh, and, and I've got my passages on here, so I'm going to walk around with this one. And you just listen to this, okay? I want you to hear the beauty of submission. This is what we're hearing. The gift. Hey, you're, you're women and your wives, and guess what? You get to submit. And, and getting that frown turned upside down, turning that frown, let's turn that upside down, let's smile. Let's look at the beauty and the dignity of it. Here we go. And, and, uh, and John, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, here's the beauty of it. God the Father is head of God the Son. Actually, let's turn there. I forgot. I didn't write that one out. So 2 Corinthians, I want you to go, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want you to see this, that God the Father is the head of Jesus the Son. So when we talk about headship, what kind of a head are we to be, okay, in verse 23 of Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, it says that 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of his body, the church, and is himself its savior. Jesus is the kind of head that saves those in his care. Headship, we've, we've learned about, we've heard about headship already. Uh, Jesus being the head of the body of Christ in Ephesians chapter 4. We see that as we grow up into the head, the whole body is nourished. So when we hear about headship, husbands next week, what kind of head are we supposed to be? One that nourishes the body. One that sees the people around us flourish. One that lives to the flourishment of those given in our care. That's, that's proper headship. But we get headship from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want you to see this real quickly, verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Isn't that interesting? God the Father is head of God the Son. And Jesus did not look at this in a begrudging way. He did not look at this in a dreary way. He did not look at this in moping. But in fact, we see the beauty of how Jesus responded to the headship of his heavenly Father. In John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, it says this, But Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Son follows the leadership of the Father, and yet they're both equal. The Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. Notice in this verse that Jesus is secure in His Father's love, in the, in the love of His head. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. The privilege and the beauty of submission is seen in the submission of Jesus, the Son, to His Father who is the head. You see the tender words that Jesus speaks? For the Father loves the Son. He is confident that He is under the care of a loving Heavenly Father, His head. Okay, this is showing the beauty of submission. Jesus didn't do this begrudgingly or with a frown. He did it with joy and secure in the head's love. It continues on. Uh, Matthew, another verse, Matthew chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. Jesus believed, uh, believed his Father's word, the word of his head. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Adam and Eve distrusted God's word. What did Jesus do when he was tempted in the, garden, in the desert? He believes his Father's word. He references his Father's word. He prevails where Adam and Eve failed. In his moment of despair, his moment being tempted by the enemy... He leans into and trusts and says, My Heavenly Father, I eat from what He says. I trust His Word. He is a good Father and He loves me. In John 6, 38, Jesus shows us that He was here for His Father's will. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Whose will did Jesus come to fulfill? His Father's. He submitted to his head. He was there to be submissive, and yet he's fully equal. Do we presume to look at the work of Jesus and say, that is undignified. That is not beautiful. That is less than. Because when our world mocks the Christian understanding of marriage, and you in particular, when we say, wives, it's a gift to submit to your husband, when they mock at that, simultaneously they look at the work of Jesus and His submission to His Heavenly Father and they mock it. The beauty of God asking you and telling you to do this and giving you as a gift is it's saying, be like Jesus. You get the dignity of following Jesus in a way that God never says for men to follow Jesus. He, he bestows honor and glory on you by saying, you get to follow Jesus in this way. And I am not going to tell the man to follow Jesus in this same way. Specifically, here's how you get to emulate your master and your Lord and your king. This is a gift to you. You get to do this. Matthew 26, 39. And he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and prayed saying, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not I as I will, but as you will. We see Jesus laying down. 
his right to do what he thinks is right in this moment. He submits, Father, if there's any way, but not what I will, but what you will. We see the beauty in this, that it's not, he trusts his heavenly Father. He knows his heavenly Father's interests are for his good. (laughs) Hi, buddy. Hi, Ransom. He trusts his heavenly Father. And friends, this is the beauty, ladies in particular, wives, this is the beauty of submission. Following in the dust of your master. Submit to your husbands. You say, well, Jared, it's harder to submit. You say, well, that's a gift. Yeah, Joby, here's the gift. You get to submit to me, baby. You know, like, sounds kind of funny. If, If that's the attitude, man, if you hear it like that, you don't understand. And ladies, if you hear it like that, you're not understanding submission. And men, if you hear hear it like, baby, you see this, you need, to, you need to submit to me. Men, we're not hearing it right. The beauty of it. So the beauty of submission is seen in Jesus. This is what God has called you to do. Wives, don't make the mistake of Eve and doubt the goodness of God's Word to you. I just want to plead with you in that. And secondly, we're going to see the power of submission, that this is not passive uh, submission, but this is powerful offense, the power of submission, Jesus' salvation. Verse 23, look at this. Jesus is her Savior. Notice that Jesus, through His submission, becomes the Savior of His bride. Verse 23, His body and is Himself its Savior. Jesus' submissive, submissive, submissive action somehow produced results. It was powerful. And He is now the bride's Savior through His submission. It's interesting that the role of wife in marriage, it's not just the role of husband in marriage that's viewed as we view Jesus. The, the role of wife is seen in the, as, as we view the life of Jesus. Both. We see the power of submission to save. Saved His church. So Philippians 2, 8 and 11. I want you to go ahead and turn there. We're turning a little bit more. You just got to turn one or two pages. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And I want you to see the power of submission. Say, well, I just, I just can't submit. I just can't submit. I can't submit. Yes, you can, by God's grace. We're going to talk to the men next week about how we're to pursue and how we're to, how we're to love. But wives, I'll tell you this, you're a terrible Holy, Holy Spirit to your husband. And you just trying to fix him all the time is a terrible way to go about it. Men do not respond well to trying to be fixed by their husbands. And men, you need to hear your wives do not respond well by trying to be the Holy Spirit to your wives. Okay, how well has that worked out when we tried to be a fixer of each other? Right? Walls. Yeah, you may see that in me, baby, but let me tell you all the stuff I see about you. Okay, that kind of stuff, which is not how conversations go at our house, I promise. But this is the tendency. So you're a bad Holy Spirit for your husband. You want to see change? You want to see the power of submission? Look at this. Ephesians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Exaltation through submission. Isn't that amazing? Highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, through his submission, has gained exaltation And at some point, everybody around the globe who's ever lived and breathed, even those who are doomed to everlasting torment, will have to admit, yes, Jesus Christ is who He said He was. This is the power because Jesus submitted to His Father's will. Jesus has changed you. He has saved you. And He's continuing to change you. Is Jesus still changing your life? He's still changing mine. If He didn't submit to His Heavenly Father... There's no salvation, friends. None. And the ramifications, the ripple effect of his submissive work is still in an offensive manner changing me. that, That work is rippling through the ages. It got through the first and second century. It got through all the way through the first millennia, all the way to the Reformation, all through the 1600s and the 1700s. And this powerful submission made it all the way through the 1800s and the 1900s. And it it ran all the way into 1989 when, by God's grace, I was saved in either the summer or fall of 1989. 
And then you have your story of the power of submission of Jesus when that ripple effect busted into your life and changed you and is still changing you. So hopefully, ladies, you can see that this is not just a wet paper towel submission that's just, yeah, baby, whatever you want. That is not the submission that God is calling you to. God is calling you to strong, strong submission to your husband for the sake of your husband being all that God has called him to be. And you can hear this by God's grace. You can hear it. Gospel women are women of steel who hear the word of God and it tastes sweet and good to them. They don't look at it and make the mistake of Eve and think, I know better. I don't like it. God, you're holding me back. So we see the power of submission as well. Jesus' submission has saved and changed us. Wives, here's what I want you to hear in this law gospel passage. Jesus' perfect submission has changed you. You get to be like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, here is what God commands women. We're going to read it again. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear the law part of this. The law is good and right. Okay, This is beautiful news to you, and you need to press into it and listen to it. But also the law shows you how inadequate you are in yourself. Because ladies, you can hear, okay, I need to submit to my husband. And next week, we're going to look about what that means. As you hear the role, we're going to say, we're going to, you're going to see, okay, submit to my husband in what? Next week, we're going to see that. First, you've got to understand your role in submission and see it as a good and right thing. Then you see next week when God says to husbands, you're going to see, submit to what? Okay, what am I submitting to? What is my husband's active role in my life that, that helps me see the implications of what submission actually is for me, you know, Every single, you know, during the week what, in my life, what does it mean to submit to him? Next week you'll see that. But here's what I want you to know. You'll never submit perfectly, ever. There's only one person who's ever submitted perfectly, and that's Jesus. And here's where the freedom comes in. Because if we're not careful, next, and this happens a lot for men, if we're not careful, we just read the passage and say, wives, submit better, submit better, submit better. And you're like, gosh, yeah, but it's hard. You know, it's way easier submitting to Jesus, it seems like. But man, then when submitting my husband, goodness gracious. And yet you hear the word of God saying, submit, yes, to this imperfect man. And ladies who are unmarried in here, by the way, if you're considering who you want to date or whatever, if you could never see yourself submitting to that man, don't marry him. Just don't marry him. And so I want you to see this. Jesus submitted perfectly, and here's the good news gospel for you. When you submit imperfectly this week, remember, thank you, Jesus, for submitting perfectly for me. Thank you that this week I'm counted as a righteous wife, as a holy wife, because of what you did for me. Because if we only hear submission as law in a good sense, which God's law is good and right, you, you'll miss the gospel because you'll think the gospel is, well, the gospel is Jesus plus me being a submissive wife, and that's not the case. This reveals your need of the perfect submitter, Jesus. He did it on your behalf. I want to give one real quick example, and Andy, you can go ahead and come up here. Final thoughts. I want to give a few final thoughts. If you reject submission, you will never require anything from your husband. It's a statement that I said. And here's what I want uh, to say uh, by way of an example. I love Jordan. I love her. And in fact, by as much as I talked about her already, I'm sure that's probably embarrassed her talking about it so much, but... Uh, a few years ago, I was at a church, and I was put in a position by the church leadership, by one person in particular, um, and basically, uh, and by God's grace, still have great relationships uh, um, with these leaders, but I was put in a spot at one point um, where I had to either stay at this church for the sake of money or leave because my conscience wouldn't allow me to do what was being asked of me. And this is not the last church, in case you're wondering, oh, what church is this? Whatever, okay? I'm not trying to play that game. But what I'm trying to do is show you an example of how Jordan submitted to me and how it was just powerfully, it was powerful offense. I mean, it was helpful for me. It challenged me. We were laying in the bed, and, I, and she was sobbing, crying. And she's like, I just don't understand. I don't understand. Like, this is hard for us. It's a hard season. She said, but I trust you, and I love you. I trust you, I love you, and the last thing she said was, I'm proud of you. 
Now that submission to me saying, I trust you in this, as the leader of our home, with this decision that I don't understand, it requires of me to be the kind of man that she can continue to do that for. I've got to seek the face of God for our family. As the leader of our family, as the humble servant of our family, I have got to exist in such a way where she flourishes so much as a woman of God that by God's grace, in those decisions that she looks at me and she said, Jared, I don't understand, I trust you. And if I make the wrong move, I don't think that she's going to say, I told you so, if you just would have listened to me. She's not that kind of woman. And ladies, I just want to tell you, that kind of submission will challenge your husband to be who God has called him to be. If you're just always trying to do it, make all the decisions, be the one that's always controlling the family and the situation, he will let you do it. And he will put his hands in his pocket, and all of a sudden, you're the decision maker on everything. And the decisions he thinks he's making, you know who's really making them. So ladies, there's good news for you. That by God's grace, you're freed to receive what God says to you as a wife as a gift. You're free to submit. Submit in what? In everything. Verse 24, it says, submit to their husbands in everything. That's a scary word. Everything? What does everything mean? Next week, we're going to see it. I want you to read ahead in your passage for next week. See, this is what you're supposed to submit to. Okay, And this is what men we're going to be challenged with next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you do speak to men and women. Not just to men, not just, not just to humans, but to men and women. And I just ask that you would uh, help us. I pray for the wives in this room. Thank you that there's godly women in this room that can hear what you say to them. And I ask that they would see the gift. See, this is a gift. A gift of femininity. The gift of being a wife. The gift of being able to submit to their husband. And, and they would see you, Jesus, submitting to your father and say, it's my joy, it's my privilege to follow in my Savior's footsteps. Build our marriages here, God. I know that there's some marriage, some marriage, it just, marriage is hard. And I just pray we would all be able to be in the same boat and admit that. And we're walking to you together. Just help us. Thank you for these women that are here. This changes. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen.